Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Our chat should be open to say hi. We are glad to have you here this morning. I have been having fun playing with the West banners and uh, some of the artwork from Barry Galef and creating my background here. So, morning, Indara. It's so good to have you with us. Yay. And we're so pleased to have Amy Bruno with the Washington Interfaith Network with us this morning. So, she says hi in the chat. morning josh josh i can't wait to hear the band piece that you played on today and good morning justine i'm so happy that you're with us as well good job everybody who got here at 10 30 and saw the notices that we were moving from 9 30 to 10 30. i don't know about you but i found it to be a very luxurious time this morning I felt so relaxed. Oh, 10.30 platform, oh, plenty of time. I had two cups of tea. So we hope that you had your extra cup of tea or your extra cup of coffee and that you're with us now. Yes, very a civilized time, I agree, Josh, exactly. Um, still, of course, thinking of our folks who we've had folks joining us from I think Santa Fe is the furthest west that we've had um, so it's a little bit less a little, little earlier in Santa Fe um, if our Santa Fe folks end up joining us today but it but not as early as it has been when we've been meeting at 9 30 east coast time as folks know this is a question platform I got a lot of really great questions ahead of time if you have a question that you were unable to send me ahead of time you may put it in the chat and I will try to grab it. Um, you can do that sort of in the beginning of platform and I will jot them down and see if I can incorporate them into my platform uh, later this morning. After a certain point, I won't be able to track them anymore. Um, so when we used to do this platform live, we just kind of got questions uh, in. We're now on Facebook. I wanna say hi to our folks who are joining us on Facebook. Good morning, we are so glad to have you with us. Good morning, Jeff. Jeff's joined us on Zoom. We're glad to have you and to see you, Jeff. Good morning, Adam. Great to have you here. So if folks do have questions, um, back in the old days when we met in person, um, folks would write those down and, um, and we'd collect them. You are welcome to put them in the chat for a little while here and I will try to, um, to try to grab them. I see that <laughs> Lily Vincent Buzzell is with us. Lily is a toddler, so I think it's possible that she's watching with her parents. I'm not sure. Maybe hi, George and Heather. Maybe just hi, Lily. Carol, Carol is here from Santa Fe. Carol, great to see you. Good morning. Great to have so many folks with us. I'm curious as people are joining us, are you doing anything this weekend that makes it feel different than other weekends because it's a it's a long weekend. My children do not have their Zoom classes on Monday, so that is that is different. Oh, it's just Lily is watching. Lily the baby is watching. She's very advanced. Yeah. Good morning, Stan from the Philadelphia uh, Ethical Society. So glad to have you here. 
Good morning. Let's see. Good morning, Trang. Good morning, Eileen. Oh, you went hiking yesterday. It was beautiful yesterday, wasn't it? Just gorgeous. So glad to have everybody here. We're going to give us just a couple more minutes as folks join us and find their way to Zoom. Paula from Saratoga, California is watching on Facebook. Paula, good morning. It is 7.30 where you are. We are glad to have you with us. Good morning to, let's see, I've lost. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Shirley, Hunter and Mirka, Rima and Rob. Josh, good morning. Other Joe, Naomi, oh, great to have you all. Becky from San Jose. Becky, it's so good to have you with us. Terry and Jenna and Sue and Maddie, awesome. Good morning. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning to so many folks who are here with us. We are really glad to have you here. Nancy, Sarah, and Christine are all watching on Facebook. Good morning. We love having folks on Facebook. Brian and Leanne, good morning. It's their 12th anniversary today. Happy anniversary, Brian and Leanne. It is that week. My anniversary is coming up next week. I think it's all of us who got married somewhere around Memorial Day weekend, right? Josh says mazel tov. Congratulations, everybody. Right. It is great to have you here. We are up to, let's see. Good morning, Shelby. Good morning, Emily. Good morning, Peter and Abigail. Brian and Leanne, you are going to get the most anniversary graduations that you have perhaps ever gotten in this chat. Good morning, Patricia from Susquehanna Ethical Society. We are so glad to have you. Some of you know we did, we hosted a showing of um, Jay Hooper's film Humanitas on Friday night. And we had folks from, I think, six different ethical, five or six different ethical societies joining us, um, which was just super, super fun. That was exciting. Austin was there and Philadelphia and Baltimore and Westchester and Northern Westchester. So good morning. Folks are liking the 10.30 a.m. time. That's great. Good, good. Good morning from London. Alice, our farthest flung person today, I think. Good morning. All right. Well, it is great to have everyone here this morning. I'm so delighted to have you saying hello, as we are all just slightly more awake than we were at Platform uh, last week. We're glad to be now at our 1030 schedule. I want to begin with some opening words this morning. These words are favorites of mine. They are words that I have returned to again and again and again over my lifetime, particularly at moments of threshold, moments of change or transition, and moments when I wasn't sure what would come next, when I felt um, as though I just wanted to be able to see in the future and how it would all work out. These words have spoken to me and so I want to offer them to you. They are from the poet Rainier Maria Rilke. 
Rilke is writing here to a young poet, this famous piece. And these words are in that vein. I would like to beg you, dear sir, as well as I can, to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers, which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. For our opening music this morning, we are so lucky to have music brought to us from Glenn Thomas Rideout, the music director at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Ann Arbor. Glenn Thomas has made several videos to be shared. Um, and uh, this one is of a song we have sung many times at Wes. I have memories of the chorus positioned around the room singing this song from all directions. This morning, we hear it in Glenn Thomas Rideout's voice. I know this rose will open. I know my fear will burn away. I know my soul will unfurl its wings. I know this rose will open. I know, 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 I I know my fear 
Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. My name is Laura Solomon, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. I like to imagine that all of us are gathering together and sitting down in the main hall. And so I invite you to picture that and take a deep breath. We're going to continue to experiment throughout our, our platforms with using the chat. And so the chat will be open today, except for during the platform address. During that time, the chat will be closed. We welcome your feedback about this, including, I don't really have any feedback or whatever you do is fine. We're really looking for what works best for the community and what people's opinions are. Each week, we spotlight a West group or team that relates to our monthly theme. In keeping with May's theme of thresholds, I invite Genevieve McDowell Owen of the building team to read our statement of purpose. The building team works on a variety of projects to help maintain and improve the West building, including its threshold. If you'd like to learn more about the team, please contact Genevieve or John Kester. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith and human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Genevieve. And now I invite you all to join me at home in reading our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring a chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly thinking about the nearly 1,000 people in the US who have died from COVID-19 
including the nearly 1,000 names published today on the cover of the New York Times. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. We enter into this weekend of Memorial Day, remembering the men and women who are currently serving in the armed forces, and we hope for their safe return. We also acknowledge that there are women and men who will not return and we pause to honor their service and their sacrifice. We also pause to give thanks for all the women and men who have served in the nation's armed services. Those who have not served cannot fully imagine the experience of war, but we do know war's aftermath and the toll that it can take on the human heart. We remember those lost to the after effects of war. We hope for peace and a day when these losses and this violence are no more. This day remembers and acknowledges loss, and so we remember those we have loved and lost. We hold their names and their faces in our mind's eye and recall the gifts they gave to us through the strength of their being, the depth of their love, the courage of their dying, and the fullness of their living. May their names surround us and live with us in memory. Let us have one more moment of silence as a tribute to all they have meant to us. As we listen to our musical reflection, I invite you to put the names of people you are remembering and honoring this Memorial Day in the chat so we may honor those names with you.
Our music comes from our neighbors, the choir of the Cedar Lane Unitarian Universalist Church. It feels good to be with our neighbors at this time. Their music reminds us of the America that we all hope is possible.
I want to take just a moment to honor still more names being shared in the chat and just to hold that space for a moment. Thank you. Thank you for bringing all on your heart here today. During these uh, last couple of months as your senior leader, I have been trying to offer words that I think might help you, that might help Wes uh, through this time of transition and words really that reflect back the strength and the power that I see in this community. And I have to be honest about this platform this morning. This one may be just for me. I love doing question platforms. I love doing question platforms at WES, which is incidentally the only place I've ever done a question platform. I have done several over the years, maybe six or even seven. And um, I love them really because of your questions, because they tell me what you are thinking about and wondering about. I am not naturally a particularly curious person, I think. I'm a naturally connected person, an engaged person, but not really a curious one. And so I love spending time with people who are, um, and especially people who are philosophically curious, which is how I would describe so much of Wes, philosophically curious. And so I just could not resist the opportunity to have another chance to hear your questions, to wonder what you are thinking about. And you did not disappoint. We have some really good ones, as well as some evergreen ones and some silly ones. So I think we will have a good time together. I wanna start with a question um, in part because we've already experienced some of the answer today. The question was, what lasting effects will the current pandemic have on ethical culture and humanists and their approach to dealing with major life issues? And should it have such? Should it have those effects, in other words? One of the things that's been most interesting to me during this time um, of really having our programming go virtual is um, that we have an opportunity now and are seeing it come into fruition to connect with and um, really serve people all over the world, in fact, all over the country and all over the world. Many of our folks who were members and moved away and who perhaps from time to time checked out a platform online are now coming and joining us virtually every single week. Because we're no longer showing a platform intended to be experienced in person and also offered online, but rather a platform intended to be experienced online. I think people feel included in a different way from many places around the country and around the globe. And, and that has been such a gift. And one of the things that I wonder about, and I know we're not the only ones, other ethical societies are experiencing that. Every, I think every type of congregation is right now. And one of the questions that I have for us 
collectively in the movement is how might we hold on to pieces of that when we are able to meet in person again, particularly for a movement like ethical culture, which does not have a society in every city or town. How can we serve people who aren't near a local society in meaningful ways, in ways that help them to feel as deeply included as the people who are in person? What will that look like when we're no longer all virtual? And so I'm doing a lot of thinking about that. I know other people are as well. And to me, that's a really interesting question, particularly for, um, for ethical culture. I think the other thing that I have seen in our coffee hour, we've been using um, random breakout groups for coffee hour, as many of you know, which means that everybody joins the coffee hour Zoom and then randomly you are assigned into groups of you know five or six people, um, or I should say five or six devices and do a little check-in in those groups. And um, I have for sure heard from people that they are having the opportunity to talk with someone that they wouldn't have gone up to in coffee hours simply because they would have gone up to the people they knew already. Um, perhaps they would have gone and said hello to a visitor, but they wouldn't necessarily have gone and tried to start a new relationship with someone that they, they hadn't gotten to know yet over a couple of years. And now because they are randomly broken into these groups, there is an opportunity for people to build relationships unexpectedly. And, um, and I wonder what that could look like in person as well. I think it is a constant challenge for congregations and really communities of any kind, schools, even workplaces to move beyond um, friendship groups that can feel closed. And so to think about the, the way technology is helping us to connect with people we wouldn't always move toward and perhaps to build new relationships that we are really appreciating. Um, I think, um, I think that is quite an interesting thing right now. And then finally, the last thing I would say is that, and this is what we've seen already this morning, is that in this time, ethical culture leaders and Unitarian Universalist ministers both are working together, and, and, and those two groups are working together much more collaboratively than I have seen in the past. Always those groups have collegiality and collaboration. Um, and um, people are sharing content like the music that we heard earlier in our platform service. Um, I recorded a, a candle lighting for a friend who was putting together a, a whole platform service of sci-fi related content. And so people from all over the country recorded themselves dressed up in their Star Trek outfits or um, dressed like Yoda, or whatever it might be, recording a different little piece. And she created this whole uh, service put together. People are supporting each other with tech questions and figuring out how to do electronic voting together in a really beautiful way. I see that in both movements and I see the movements um, supporting each other as well and learning from each other. And so um, I think that is a beautiful thing that is coming out of this, this time as well that I hope that we will be able to continue. Um, I got a question from somebody um, uh, that I think came out of Earth Ethics work. Um, Earth Ethics uh, 
over Earth Day had invited people to take some specific actions and then to share, uh, report back on those actions. Which ones did you do? And, and the question was a version of sort of, um, why, why haven't more people told me what they've done? And to me, the interesting piece in that, now I could only guess on people's schedules and, and, and um, you know, whether they've tracked that email. There's an interesting question there though, I think, about how we share our social justice commitments and what the difference is between um, virtue signaling and sharing our commitments in the hopes to inspire others. And for me, for whatever reason, the example that came to my mind was bringing cloth bags into the store with me and how sometimes I know that I've just grabbed the, well, now we're all using paper bags, right, to be safe and that is important. But in prior times, I would bring the cloth bags in with me and, you know, just have them with me and that's fine and, you know, no problem, use my cloth bags. Other times I was bringing my cloth bags in with me, making sure they were visible, that everybody could see that I had cloth bags just like a good person. And so I think about sort of the ways in which we share with each other what we do and how we are committed to social justice work and how sometimes that's about inspiring and um, and encouraging others and how important that is. You know, if I see everybody else has cloth bags, I think, oh, it must not be so hard and I can do that too. I'll note to myself that I only consistently brought cloth bags in when the tax was added. So there is also an element here of um, uh, intention and what actually can motivate us. Um, and, the, and the importance of uh, local and national uh, legislation around environmental impact. Um, but sort of that difference between um, taking social justice stands in a way to inspire and encourage other people, and then taking them in a way that really is more about wanting um, wanting people to see us in a particular way. And I suspect that the answer is not visible from the outside, which one of those we are experiencing in any moment. For myself, I think the answer is on the inside. It's how I feel about it and why I'm picking up those cloth bags and carrying them so very um, uh, visibly when I walk into the store. So, um, so that, that wasn't really the question asked, but that's the, the path that led me down. And also let Earth Ethics know if you took any of their actions. They're very eager to find out. Um, one, of the, um, one of the questions that I received, which is an evergreen question, every time I offer a question uh, platform, relates, I think, to that idea of the internal. Um, versus the external and um, and we'll return to it at the very end of platform as well. The question um, this time, though it has come in many forms, is do you really believe that insert a public figure with whose um, policies one deeply disagrees has inherent worth? Do you really believe that this person that you struggle with, this person who makes deeply poor decisions, this person, insert, 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 has inherent worth? Um, one time this question was posed a little differently a number of years ago. It was, 
Um, do I have to believe that they have inherent worth? <laughs> Forget whether you do or not. Do I have to? Is that really what we're doing here in ethical culture? I love the question because I think it speaks to the heart of what we talk about when we talk about inherent worth in, in ethical culture. Felix Adler was very clear that he did not always see inherent worth in another person. In fact, sometimes he did not see it there at all. What he did was ascribe it to them. He acted as though the other person had inherent worth and let that guide how he moved and engaged in the world. And I think that's a key difference because it means that the attribution of inherent worth to another person is much more about me, my own heart, and my own actions than it is about them. It doesn't depend on what they do or what they say. It has to do with me and how I seek to live my life. And of course, how I routinely fail, right? I mean, none of us actually successfully do that all the time. That's why Felix Adler had to write multiple books about it and found an entire religious movement based on that concept, right? You know, we um, seek to attribute that worth to every person. And yes, I believe ethical culture really asks us to. And no, I don't think we always do it successfully. How could we? And yes, I do on my deepest, best level really believe that, uh, even when it is difficult. Because, um, and this will come up in, in, our, in our last question, I think. Um, well, you know what, let me skip to it because it's so related, I like it, hang on. I got a great question, so hold that thought. I got a great question that came with a picture. I'm not sharing the picture with you, um, but I, I do want to describe it to you. It was the frame of a graphic novel published in 1964. The blind angel Pigar saves both the heroine on the left in the frame and the anti-heroine on the right from a dying city. The angel saves both Although the anti-heroine, this is all part of the question, has cruelly punished the angel and his friends and driven the city to destruction. Asked why, the angel answers, an angel has no memory. To what degree, the questioner asked, does our ability to act as an ethical force require forgetting the past or in Christian terms, forgiveness? Okay, that's the question that I received. There was actually more exposition on the graphic novel and what it meant to this person. It was an amazing and an amazingly rich question. And I think it does speak to that idea of the internal and to, um, to the possibility uh, of change that I think is at the heart of the ability to attribute inherent worth to all people. So one thing that the question made me think of was my work in community organizing. And we're going to hear a little bit later today from uh, Amy Bruno with Washington Interfaith Network. And I bet Amy was the first person to say to me this catchphrase of community organizing, which is no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. 
it's a practical approach to um, what the blind angel Pigar in this graphic novel is inhabiting and, and embodying, I think, that if we want to work in the world, if we want to make justice, if that is our ultimate goal, then our personal engagement with people needs to be flexible and open to change. No permanent friends, no permanent enemies. This public figure may not have supported what I wanted last week, but perhaps this week we agree on something else. And so it's important for me to be able to work with them. And that, that seems like sort of a just a practical way of, of looking at community organizing, but it has actually been um, I would say philosophically or theologically transformative for me, because I think at the center of it is the idea that all people can change. Now, maybe in that setting, they're just changing which bill they support or they support what we like with poverty, but not with what we like with education or something like that. But on a more fundamental level and a really deep level, I think our ability to attribute worth to people who have made terrible choices with whom we disagree, who continue to make terrible choices, our ability to do that is rooted in our faith that they may change. Now that doesn't mean that all behavior is acceptable. Of course, I believe strongly in the importance of drawing boundaries on behavior that is harmful to people. And even when drawing those boundaries, I seek to hold the possibility for change in the future. And it, to me, goes hand in hand with attribution of worth. And as in the example from this graphic novel, The Angel Pigar, with the possibility of forgiveness um, and the possibility of greater justice even after wrongs have been done. So I think, um, I think about that element for me, you know, would I save the heroine and the anti-heroine? Um, I think if I were able to hold the possibility for change, I, I might still have some boundaries on the anti-heroine's future behavior until that change was affected, right? But the saving of them is to me about that possibility. And of course, it also makes me think of the way that um, angels and other immortal beings, uh, vampires, for instance, or werewolves, which is about to relate to my next question, um, uh, often are depicted in story and in mythology as having a different moral code in some ways than humans in part because they have a longer view of history. They can perhaps wait for the change to come even more broadly than we are able to. So I love that question and I'm really interested in the graphic novel now, of course, too. Um, one of the questions I received was, would you rather marry a werewolf or a vampire, assuming you were a human mortal? The questioner obviously knows that I read a lot of um, novels about uh, vampires and werewolves and other things. My answer is entirely series dependent, as anyone would imagine. Um, and, um, and I will say um, I'm happily married to my human husband, and because I am a human mortal, I, I'm glad the question didn't assume that 
Um, but uh, were I a human mortal, um, werewolf or vampire? Um, so I would say, uh, depending on the series, um, in some series, vampires don't sleep at all. And I feel like that would actually be a very convenient um, aspect to a partner. They could get a lot done around the house. Um, in other series, vampires are a little bit more cold and um, werewolves kind of have a more human understanding of the world, kind of relating back to that angel. I definitely wouldn't marry an angel. Very long arc of the world and different moral code than humans. So um, that's where I'd fall on that one. Uh, that same questioner asked what my favorite word was which I thought was a fascinating question. I don't have a favorite word. There are so many good ones, but I will share um, that a couple of years into my service at WES, whereas many people know WES sometimes refers to itself as a society, sometimes as a congregation, people use different language. Um, and, um, and often people refer to WES as a community. Um, so a couple of years into my service at West, I suddenly developed a complex around being able to pronounce the word community. I still struggle with it sometimes. I get in my own head and I will tell you, it's not necessarily my favorite word, though it is a word I love. Um, it is a most inconvenient word to not be able to reliably pronounce when you are serving a community. So that's what I have to say about favorite words. I had an interesting question about um, how people whose, whose brains work differently, the example in the question um, came out of this person's experience and, and was um, related to people with autism. I don't want to make any comment on whether this is true or not true and, and want to note that people with autism have a very wide variety of experiences, but the question came out of a, a, a space of neurodiversity. Um, whether people who are neurodiverse experience religion or at least the metaphor and story of religion differently. And I would actually expand it. I think that there's an interesting question perhaps for some around um, an experience of neurodiversity in, in the world. I think many of us, whether we would identify as neurodiverse or not, have brains that work differently from each other, right? That connect in different ways. And I've often thought about this in relationship to conversations at WES and in other, particularly other humanist or progressive religious communities around spirituality and, um, and people's different engagements with ritual, with what I might call spirituality or emotionality in services. Often when we talk about whether that's something that connects for us or not, whether we, what, well, I'll back up and say when we talk about whether or not we want that in the congregation or in the community that we're part of, I think frequently there's an element that has to do with whether or not it relates for us, whether or not it connects with how we understand the world, um, how we experience the world. And again, that may have to do with our how our brain works. It may have to do with how we um, were raised, it may have to do with our just personal preferences from nature or nurture. But I think it's an interesting element that we that we don't often talk about. We sometimes approach it as, is it, you know, is it good or not to have XYZ ritual or XYZ spirituality? 
And I think the answer is so deeply personal and has to do with how we are um, emotionally affected or not by those different kinds of experiences. And I do think that we have different set points or different interests in different um, different sorts of experiences. So, um, so I, again, not quite the question that was asked, but it led me um, to, I think, some, some, some thoughts I found um, interesting to explore. Um, let's see. I had two questions. I'm going to share these questions, and then I'm going to tell you when I'll answer them. One was, who are your favorites of the philosophers who developed ethical culture? And the other was on a more personal note, what activities or programs at West have pleased or challenged you the most as you've worked with us to create them? What has been our greatest gift to you through these activities or personal relationships? Um, I loved those questions and um, I think they deserve a longer than um, few sentence answer. So um, I'm actually planning um, my June 21st platform um, to be, uh, everything I know about life, I learned from ethical culture. Some of you, um, if you were here 12 years ago, 13 years ago now, remember that um, my very first platform at WES, before I was voted on to become your uh, senior leader at the time, was called Everything I Know About Ethical Culture I Learned from Wikipedia, which was literally true at the time. And so I wanted to offer a antidote, a part two to that platform um, and share how much I have learned from ethical culture and the way in which it has so deeply shaped my understanding of life and how I move in the space. So I, I'm going to answer those questions more fully on June 21st, um, but I, I really appreciated being asked them. There was a, a good and important question about why it is so difficult for us to understand and appreciate, I think appreciate especially differences and, um, and how we can do that better. We globally, we collectively, we at West specifically, we everywhere, this person was thinking about cultural diversity, about neurodiversity, about all of the different ways that people show up differently in the world and experience the world differently themselves. And it's the kind of question I wish I knew the answer to because that would surely help the world as we navigate through it. Of course, there's responses about our lizard brain, about the need to categorize and to fit in for group safety back when we were in early evolutionary form. But now that we don't have those needs as deeply, how do we move past that space? A couple weeks ago in platform, someone shared in the chat a phrase that was shared with me um, by Joe London many years ago. I think it was on a poster uh, in the West Sunday School years before I came. I never saw the poster myself, but I've heard the phrase, which is, I am like no other person in some ways. I am like some other people in some ways. I am like all other people in some ways. 
And for whatever reason, that phrase has stuck with me, the idea that we both share something with everyone, some with some, and nothing with some. That we have both unique identities and also things which connect us to each other. And that, that all of that is important to hold within a community like ours. Um, so I, I don't have an answer to the question and I give back to Wes some of the wisdom I have received from the community over the years. Finally, what is your favorite book ever? That question is impossible. However, what I will say is that the books that stand out most for me, I do read a lot of vampires and werewolves. That's for fun to escape from reality. The books that stand out most for me are ones that invite me into a different identity, a different way of thinking or understanding the world. I'm particularly drawn to books um, from the Our Own Voices movement, books that ask that the identity being described by the narrator or by the main character is an identity that is in some way held or experienced or understood by the author. Though I don't think that's necessary for great literature. For me personally, it has been a connector, books that have really opened me up to fully understanding, or not fully, but more fully understanding a different experience in the world. I think the two books that come to mind most immediately when I think about that kind of novel, and they are always novels for me, are Americana and uh, When the Moon Was Ours. Um, both of those invited me in to an experience different than my own. Um, I left feeling as though I hadn't just read a book, but I had been for a while in a different world, and I had begun to understand just a little bit what it might be like to be a different person. I'm not, I don't understand those identities and experiences fully, but for me, the books invited me in just a small way to understand them more fully. And for me, those are my very favorite books, the ones that have helped me to um, transform and expand. Um, and ultimately, I think to expand my love. Our love expands as our understanding expands. So those are my two for now. I'm sure there are many more, and it is indeed impossible to name a favorite book ever, but I'll start with a couple. Friends, it is, as always, a pleasure to receive your questions, to know what you are wondering about, and to either answer them or, as is the prerogative of the person with the microphone, to answer some other related question that it made me think of. So I hope that you will help me answer these questions as well. I want to invite you to think about what you'd answer differently, what you think I got wrong or simply got differently than you would get. And I want to offer just my gratitude for a community. I told you, 
or a community that asks such good questions and that listens to each other's answers, knowing that they will not always be the same, but that they will all be important. Thanks. hear our chorus today as well. Makes me feel like I'm back in the main hall with all of you. Thank you so much for that. We take time to add our own thoughts and reflections to the morning, sharing our thoughts on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. 
I encourage you to take a moment and share your thoughts with one another in the Zoom chat or if you're joining us on Facebook, in the Facebook comments. There have been several comments already, many about zombies and vampires, some corrections that vampires are not actually immortal. They can still be killed using a variety of means, says Jeff. Sunlight will do it, as well as silver bullet or a wooden stake through the heart. I am not well versed in vampires, but I'm very glad to know this. Thank you. <laughs> um, we have some other comments about virtue sig signaling versus inspiring. Laura asks, is it a black and white distinction? I'm wondering if it depends on how influential one sees oneself, whether someone believes they even have the ability to inspire. Is virtue signaling something that people do to build credibility as they try to get to a place where others see them as an inspiration? These are such good questions. Lots of people enjoying the chorus for sure. There was a question about what an evergreen question is and Josh answers an evergreen question is one that's always relevant. Yes. Abby wonders whether one can tell the difference between virtue signaling and true commitment by how one reacts when called out. That's an excellent question. Beautiful. I encourage you all to continue sharing with one another and be sure to go to coffee hour later so that you can continue to have these conversations. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we give half of all donated cash to a program whose values resonate with our own ethical culture principles. This month, we are sharing the plate with Washington Interfaith Network. And Amy Runo, an organizer with WIN, is here to tell us more about WIN and the important work they're doing now. Good morning. WIN brings together congregations across um, every ward and every division of the um, city. Um, what we have been up to, we want to update you on what we've been doing since COVID-19. We've seen within our own membership um, the painful racial and economic divisions of the impact of COVID-19. We know this because there are several members in our um, community who know no one affected by COVID-19 and many who know dozens of people. Um, me personally, um, through the work we've done with the transit union, um, I personally know um, of dozens of people around the country who are frontline transit workers who contracted COVID-19 in the line of duty and passed away. That's who I lifted up earlier when we were rem remembering people. At this moment, um, we realized, you know, this is a moment of shock um, and uncertainty and pain, um, but we have the same choice to make um, that we have always had, um, and which is a, a choice to choose between fear and isolation of division and hatred, or to invest in hope um, and connection, and really reiterating and remembering that we are part of a single garment of destiny. And it's up to us to connect and organize to make it so in the world.
Um, so what we have been doing in this time is reaffirming that um, through a few things. One is um, hundreds of volunteers, some of whom I saw your names in the participants list um, from, from Wes, um, have been calling, phone calling thousands of people um, around the district, tenants, seniors, wow. immigrants. Um, I heard that dog, nice, hi dog, um, low income um, um, buildings and asking a few questions. The first question is, how you doing? And how are you gonna weather this crisis? What do you need? How can we be together in this crisis? And then the second question is, in this moment, what are you imagining we could build together for the future? How can we build a future DC um, that is more connected and more just and more equitable? Because this crisis you know, reminds us of the divisions that we've been weathering um, throughout the history. Through those connections, um, there's some results that I wanna share with you all and, and celebrate. One is we were able to expand feeding um, to a, a Title I school um, that serves primarily immigrant families, many undocumented. It was an area that the city just hadn't noticed would need a feeding center. And through connecting and finding that, um, finding that gap, we were able to advocate to make sure that hundreds of families get food. Um, we've had volunteers, you know, um, put on their masks and go to the store and get supplies and food and, and, um, and resources to deliver directly to public housing buildings where we've noticed that there's an emergency need. There are people on this, um, participants here who were a part of this. We've been calling hundreds of voters to make sure that they know how to vote, right? This is a confusing moment where people could lose their right to vote in the confusion of the pandemic. And, and the way to overcome that is by calling people and saying, hey, do you know how to apply for your ballot? Do you know the phone number? Um, we're completely nonpartisan. We believe that everyone should have a right to vote. And then thirdly, we're um, reimagining um, together. We're starting to begin to have um, freedom school times when we come together to learn about the crisis, learn about our economy and our democracy and how we can participate more together, and to build a bold platform for how will we reopen and rebuild our economy and our democracy, um, that we can do it um, with justice and more equity. I have three celebrations I wanna lift up because even during this time, we have seen ribbon cuttings, but they were virtual, virtual. it's less fun than when you actually cut the rib, ribbon physically. Um, but Wes, you were a part of this, and so I wanna make sure you're aware of it. First is short-term housing for families. That was a long fought, we had to fight NIMBY, we had to fight to make sure that the, there was a budget for it. And um, even in this crisis, when it's really important that people have a place, um, we were able to get um, open in Ward 3 and Ward 6, short-term family housing as, as, one, as two of the eight around the, around the city. Secondly, you all worked on this, Spring Road, the old Hebrew home. It was an um, underutilized building. 185 units of housing are going to be there and we were able to have a virtual groundbreaking um, in, in a week ago. Thirdly, Temple Courts, which is at North Cap and K Street. It's currently a, a parking lot. Um, 
that will be 500 units of housing and financing went through um, just, just a week ago. And lastly, $2.5 million for immigrant legal services was included in the mayor's budget. Huge um, victory given the fact that this is a real um, difficult austerity budget, um, but you all made that possible in the beginning and it, it will continue. Though there will be opportunities to try and expand that with the council in the weeks to come. So um, we celebrate the investment that you've made in terms of time and money over the years that has made this possible. And we hope to continue um, together to reimagine the future of DC together. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm always amazed to hear all of the really incredible work that Wynn is doing, and I encourage you all to continue to participate in Wynn as you're able. There are several ways to give this morning. You can go to our website, and there's a um, button on the top right side of the screen that says give, or you can also give by text by texting the number amount you would like to give to the number on the screen. We will now receive your gifts and our musicians' gifts of music. Yeah, the voice is strange. 
Thank you so much to the band. That was really beautiful. And thank you so much to the many people who helped to create this morning's time together. I'm particularly grateful to Sonia for all her help with tech, um, to Amy for being with us today, and Genevieve for jumping on to read our statement of purpose, and to all of our musicians, the West Band and the Chorus, and to Mirka and Hunter, who you'll hear in just a moment. We have a number of ways to connect through Zoom this week. We have adult check-ins on Monday and Friday at 5.30 and a kids check-in on Wednesday at 4. There's also a reminder that our spring membership meeting will be two weeks from today, June 7th at 1 p.m. Today at noon, you should be getting an email from electionbuddy.com with your unique access code for the online election for the Board of Trustees. If you don't see it in your inbox this afternoon, please check your spam folder. An email blast with the candidate statements will go out in the next few days, and a candidate's forum will be held on Zoom next Sunday before platform at 9.30. Thank you all for being here with us this morning. And I invite you now to join us in our closing song, Come and Go With Me. Come and go with me to that Justice in that land, there'll be justice in that land. 
seeing like five more verses now with all the additional words you all are adding in the chat. That's really lovely. We could, we could keep going for sure. I invite you to join me now on our closing words for this month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, crossing thresholds together. Thank you all so much for being with us. I invite you to head on over to coffee hour. The link is here. It should also be in your email. We will see you over there for more conversation, more questions maybe to be answered and discussed. Bye everyone. Bye Peter. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for joining us. Bye, Stan and Joe. So glad you were here with us today. When I see everyone's names come up, it really does feel like we're all together and like you're walking by. Bye, Amy. Thank you so much.